First Timothy chapter two. <clears throat> Let's read verses 9 and 10 together. Brethren, let us hear the Word of God. In like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair, or gold, or pearls, or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. And may the Lord bless the reading of this precious and holy word to our hearts this evening. Modesty is a controversial issue. Any preacher who broaches this subject will no doubt be judged a legalist by one side or a libertarian by the other side. No doubt when anyone approaches this particular subject, hearers come with preconceived notions, and sadly in our day, rarely are they biblical notions. But it is inescapable that once we come to the issue of modesty, we will find controversy. Speaking against current fashion and popular trends is always difficult, and it is always costly for the man of God. Nevertheless, every God-appointed elder is on a course that divinely steers him toward a head-on collision with the thinking and the ways of this perverse and rebellious world. As Paul commanded Titus, and as we have seen for quite a number of weeks, he said, Speak thou the things which become sound doctrine." So I am under a holy and loving obligation to instruct and edify you in a most delicate matter. It is not my desire to offend any of you, and I'm sure that uh, you may suppose that it will be difficult to deal with this very sensitive issue in mixed company. Not only the mixing of the genders, but the fact that we have both young and old together. But modesty is a biblical subject. And I've done what I can to remove words that may be offensive. At least I have done my best to uh, filter uh, the best I know how. And I've tried to stick to biblical terms or those used by the godly Puritans. Now, that may still not be enough for some. And if this proves to be the case, you will have my uh, sincerest apologies and regret uh, for having failed my goal. Nevertheless, brethren, 
There are subjects that must be dealt with, and our day is crying for voices that are clear regarding this subject. <clears throat> you will have to be the ultimate judge of whether this is a clear voice or not, but it is at least attempting to be one in what appears to me to be a deafening silence. Now, while wrestling with a great controversy several hundred years ago, the Puritan Samuel Bolton said this, <clears throat> quote, My main aim is to convince the judgment, not to irritate the affections. Lest while I seek to be helpful to grace, I might render service to sin. And while I endeavor to lead men to holiness, I should stir up men's corruptions, and so run in vain. It is my earnest desire, says Bolton, that what is here made obvious to the eye, the God of truth would make evident to the heart. Close quote. And brethren, this is exactly my own heart's desire. <clears throat> One of the reasons that this is a difficult subject is because there has been so little biblical teaching uh, in the last several generations. And uh, I cannot put the blame anywhere more clearly than the pulpits of our nation. So, it is my hope, at least from my perspective, to correct what I can regarding this, always hoping that the Lord will correct me where I am in error. And, uh, and I do pray that all of our hearts will be drawn to a very clear understanding that if there is nothing else to be said about modesty, it is a biblical doctrine which must be thoroughly studied. <clears throat> and I hope you'll be able to say much more than that by the time we're finished. I wrestled as to whether this should be one compressed message or a series, and I have gone back and forth, and I've <clears throat> uh, opted out from uh, teaching on it <clears throat> in the series from Titus as I wanted to think through how I wanted to say the things that I wanted to say. <clears throat> and so... I have decided, rather than attempt to uh, um, do too compressed or summarized a message and probably raise more questions than I would answer, I've decided to do several messages regarding this particular subject. Now, my object is not controversy, though, uh, as I pointed out, it is inevitable when teaching on this subject. So I will follow the guideline set out by Vincent Alsop. <clears throat> he has another Puritan preacher. He said, quote, Love will lend us one safe rule, that we impose a severer law upon ourselves and allow a larger indulgence to others. In other words, I will draw the tightest circle around myself and my own home and will do what I can to leave you as much breathing room as you can find in the Scripture. <clears throat> the rule of our own behavior should be with the strictest, but that which we censure, that means that which we disapprove or rebuke, and others, a little more with the largest. 
<clears throat> Close quote. Now, moreover, as Paul says, love beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. So these things are offered in love. I have prayed, I have sought the Lord's face, and while this is a hot-button issue, it is my hope and prayer that it be delivered um, with a pastoral love and encouragement as opposed to a harsh and uh, chiding tone. Once again, I will have to wrestle for great restraint because I do believe with all of my heart that men uh, are the, the, the heart and cause of this problem beginning first with the pastors who refuse to take their responsibilities and teach this subject, and secondly with the fathers who have not either the, <clears throat> the instruction themselves, uh, and they can claim ignorance, or those who know and understand but do not have the backbone to love and guide the women in their homes. So, <clears throat> having said that, I do say with all of my heart, if you find the teaching and the conclusions here that I present in harmony with the Word of God, then you have no argument with me. Bow to God's Word and serve Him with joy and gladness. If you don't find them to be biblical, then you must, of course, reject them. But I say to you with all of my heart once again, you must reject them only after careful, prayerful, Biblical study and thought. Not simply, well, I heard a tape by Brother so-and-so, and he said something different. You should put him to the test of the Word of God as well. <clears throat> None of us escapes, or should escape, the scrutiny of the Lord's people and the Word of God. So, Christ's free men should not be bound by the opinions of men. And I will do all I can to steer away from the areas of my own opinions. I do have strong convictions regarding these matters, and there is a difference. Whatever your judgments after prayerful consideration of this matter, make sure in your own heart that you have obeyed the Holy Spirit who commands, prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. You are now responsible. The Holy Spirit has given you your charge. Prove all things. And may we hear and learn together from the Word of God. Now, brethren, Paul, in instructing Timothy regarding day-to-day life in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ says a number of very important things in this chapter. And he speaks regarding matters of prayer. He speaks about the glory of one mediator. And he speaks to men and speaks regarding prayer and then takes up this issue in verse 9 of women and their adornment. So this... This... uh, message is entitled, In Modest 
apparel, taken from verse 9. And I will be interspersing throughout all of these messages some of the material from my own booklet. If you have not read it, I would encourage you to get a hold of a copy. We have them here for free. And uh, read it carefully. And uh, I will try to include uh, a number of quotes from others, both who agree and disagree, regarding some of these matters. Though I want our hearts and minds to be drawn, first and foremost, to the Word of God. Now, before we go any further, we have to take a very basic approach here. We need to have a definition of modesty so that we can understand what's being said. As a matter of fact, when Paul says, in like manner that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, the word modest there can actually be translated several ways and points not only to outward clothing, but to deportment, the way we act as well. And we'll look at this in more detail in the weeks ahead. We're not going to do a a particularly in-depth study of this particular verse tonight, but simply introduce the subject and then... We will get down into the meat of the issue in the weeks ahead. But it is the word shamefacedness that actually is the strongest word regarding modesty. But several of the words that he uses here all work together to build a blessed case for this most important subject. And I fear one terribly neglected in our day. So let's begin with some definitions of modesty. First of all, I want to say, so that everyone gets a hold of this right away, the word modesty cannot be applied simply to the issue of clothing. Paul doesn't mean it that way. And we should understand it in its broadest sense. The word modesty means numerous things. And I want us to consider those for a few moments this evening. While clothing expresses one aspect of modesty, it is certainly not the whole uh, ball of wax, so to speak. Let's hear some of the modern dictionaries. I've combined several modern dictionaries here, and uh, they will give you some idea of the way the word is generally used. Number one, it means having or showing a moderate estimation of one's own talents abilities, and value. In other words, it's having a good and fair-minded view of one's self, not bloating oneself up in pride and arrogancy and haughtiness, but having a moderate estimation of who and what we are, what gifts we have, what abilities are ours. We could say in that sense a modest man is a man who has his feet on the ground regarding who and what he is. He's not puffed up and prideful. Secondly, having or proceeding from a disinclination to call attention to oneself, retiring or diffident. Now what these words ultimately point to is uh, the idea perhaps of a bashfulness or shyness. Uh, This disinclination from calling attention to oneself can come from a feeling, especially in children, 
when they're shy or bashful around adults perhaps that they've never met before and all of a sudden the one that was bouncing off the wall a few moments ago is hiding behind daddy's leg and there's all of a sudden a, a quietness and a hush and a, a disinclination to speak there is a sense of modesty here and this can also <clears throat> be ap applicable to an adult uh, not in the sense of shyness but then once again having a principled understanding that it is inappropriate to call attention to oneself for the sake of having people just take note of you. Thirdly, there is reserve or propriety in speech, dress, or behavior. Propriety, understanding circumstances and acting appropriately to the circumstance. It might be um, proper and appropriate dressing for me to be out in my backyard in a t-shirt and some worn jeans as I'm digging up uh, elephant ears out of the backyard for my wife or if I'm painting my storage room that's appropriate clothing for that but that would be inappropriate in the worship of God <clears throat> it would be inappropriate to walk into the governor's office in your dirty t-shirt and work jeans. Though that is considered very hip today, it is obviously inappropriate. There are certain times and certain places and in certain um, circumstances where uh, all of the, the issues taken in hand must bear on what we clothe, our, uh, clothe ourselves with. So that's the idea of reserve or propriety in speech, dress, or behavior. Now that's modesty. Someone who knows and understands how and when to wear certain things or say certain things or some things that we might laugh about in our living room would be utterly inappropriate when we're joined together with someone for prayer as we seek the Lord's face. One demands a sobriety that the other does not necessarily do. <clears throat> Fourth, free from showiness or ostentation, unpretentious. In other words, here is the idea of not coming into a situation that calls for a particular moderate dress being completely dressed to the teeth. Uh, it would be perhaps amusing, but inappropriate to show up to your three or four year old's birthday party in a tuxedo with tails and a hat and a cane. <clears throat> showiness those that show up wearing extremely gaudy or extremely expensive clothing for the very purpose of having people look at them 
making sure we're always wearing clothing that has the right tag or the right name on it so people know how much we spent for it. Free. To be modest in this sense means to be free from that, free from showiness and ostentation, unpretentious. We could give all kinds of uh, examples here, but I trust this communicates enough that I don't need to spend a a great deal of time on this. Fifthly, it means moderate or limited in size, quantity, or range, not extreme. In other words, we use it this way to say, well, I paid a modest price for it. I didn't pay too much. It was a a moderate, a, a small amount for it. <clears throat> we might speak of a newspaper with a modest circulation. It means, obviously, they, they don't reach every home in the United States. It doesn't go all across the country, uh, perhaps like the... Uh, uh, Washington Times or the New York Times or the, the Post, any of those, the Wall Street Journal, might just be a local paper Then get out of the city. That would be uh, a newspaper with a modest circulation. So all of these have the idea of modest, appropriate, a smallness that is properly understood. No attempt to draw attention to the self, at least in an unseemly way. Well, Webster's 1828 dictionary, an older dictionary, gives us this, and I think this is wonderful. <clears throat> I was tempted to uh, read his entire definition. It's, it's about a paragraph long, and it's a, it's a wonderful thought. I commend it to you and urge you to read it and think through what he's saying. But uh, I've abbreviated it. Webster defines modesty as that lowly temper which accompanies a moderate estimate of one's own worth and importance. A lowly temper which accompanies a moderate, a, a moderate estimate of one's own worth and importance. Now he adds, you won't find this one in the modern dictionaries in females modesty has the like character as in males but the word is used also as synonymous with chastity or purity of manners in this sense modesty results from purity of mind or from the fear of disgrace and ignominy Ignominy means personal dishonor. From a fear of disgrace or personal dishonor or humiliation. Fortified by education and principle. In other words, it is an inward characteristic that needs to be taught and reinforced. Unaffected or genuine is what Webster means by this, unaffected or genuine modesty is the sweetest charm of female excellence, the richest gem in the diadem of their honor. Close quote. 
Now, I know when we get a lot of, or, or a number of uh, definitions tossed our way in, in just a few minutes, we're, they're all swimming around in our heads and we're trying to get a hold of what they mean and what we're going for. But I'm, I'm hoping that as I read these and, and make some explanation, that you begin to see a thread that runs through them all. Even though there is a difference in the way that they are applied, there is a thread that runs through them all. <clears throat> and we'll summarize that in just a few moments. But now let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 2, and let's look at, at two words that Paul uses here. And the first is shamefacedness. It is also uh, shamefastness. <clears throat> now this denotes a state of mind. Notice, once again, a state of mind or attitude necessary for one to be concerned about modesty and thus to dress modestly. It's a state of mind. It is an attitude that is necessary. It's something that must be there within the person for them to be concerned about the issue. And thus to dress modestly. It means a moral feeling. A reverence. Brethren, it actually means an awe. A respect for the feeling or opinion of others. Or for one's own conscience. And so, shame. Self-respect. Sense of honor. Notice, again, there is something internal here. A moral feeling. It is an awe. It is a respect for others and what they're thinking. Now, right away, that should send some flags up for some of us. Because the cry of the 60s and the cry of the flesh when it's uh, unbridled, which is pretty much what the 60s was about, is, I don't care what anybody thinks. I do what I do. I do my own thing. It's the very opposite of a modest way of thinking. Brethren, that's in us by nature. And many of it had, us, had it instructed to us throughout the 60s and the 70s. And it is now back with us as uh, unfortunately there are those who have done their best to resurrect the shame of the 60s. <clears throat> now, William Hendrickson says of this word shamefacedness that it indicates a sense of shame, a shrinking from trespassing the boundaries of propriety. One of those are kind of big words. But it is a word that most clearly points to modesty. And what this means for us is that modesty is a sense within us that knows and understands the boundaries of what's right and what is wrong. It understands what is appropriate and acts accordingly. 
It knows the boundaries and desires to stay within them. Now once again, everything about our society is get to the, get to the boundaries and push them over. Jump over them, leap over them, run through them. Push the envelope, as they say. Push it as far as you possibly can. Forget taste. Forget modesty. Forget morality. Those are silly, antiquated ideas that come from people who like to inculcate guilt in the young. And these things, in order for us to have a glorious and free and liberated society, must be utterly cast off. Brethren, read the interviews and you will see that the men who produce the television shows and produce the movies flatly will tell you that this is their purpose. We want to push the edge and the limits as far as we possibly can. We're not bound by these old ideas. And brethren... Those who have pressed the boundaries have been instructing us for decades. We have lost this concept of shamefacedness. We have lost any sense of propriety. We have lost in our churches the idea of boundaries and a desire to stay within them. Why, that would be legalism. To say that there's actually a standard that we ought to keep. I am amazed at how often over the years I've had men look me directly in the face and say, of course, of course, of course, we all believe in modesty. But they don't preach it. And then when you press them, the minute you get to the idea of a standard, they back off, And they say that that would be legalism. Brethren, the pulpits have cast off the concept of shamefacedness. Many of them. Now, when I say that, of course, I'm painting with a broad brush. I'm speaking in general terms. There have always been those who have stood for a proper and biblical modesty. The Lord has never let the light of His testimony go out. But brethren, it is flickering very dimly right now. So shamefacedness, as I said, knows the boundaries and desires to stay within them. You see, this is what Paul is saying when he says in like manner that the women adorn themselves in appropriate, respectful apparel that knows the boundaries is concerned about what others may think and desires to stay within them. The first question that must come to mind then is, do any of us think this way? Do any of us think that before we don our apparel that 
what we're about to do actually may have some connotation that requires of me understanding what's appropriate and what isn't. Few of us think that way. Now, very often if someone says you're invited uh, by the express uh, request of the President of the United States to join him for a banquet uh, on a particular evening, you wouldn't go. Well, there would be some in our culture that would, but generally most of us would not go and cut off some flip-flops. Now, there are people, once again, that would say, why not? I don't care about that kind of stuff. Hey, man, I'm just like comfortable. You know what I'm talking about? Sad to say, comfort, as we will see in the weeks ahead, is unfortunately the God that many of us bow to when we dress, rather than propriety. Now, second word he uses here is after shamefacedness is sobriety 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 has among its meanings the general one of good judgment moderation self-control if you remember when we studied through Titus chapter 2 what was the one characteristic that was absolutely necessary in every single one of the categories, aged men, aged women, younger women, young men. It was sober-mindedness, remember? Sobriety, self-control. At the very heart of the issue of modesty is self-control. Now, Sobriety, in this sense, when it is seen as a feminine virtue, is understood as decency, chastity, a character that portrays purity. Purity. Sobriety signifies a command over bodily passions. A command over bodily passions, a state of self-mastery in the area of the appetite. It doesn't simply mean here what you eat. It means all of your sense appetites. Self-control. Brethren, this is what we're talking about. The basic meaning of the word has different nuances and connotations. And it represents... That habitual inner self-government. Hear those terms? Habitual inner self-government with its constant reign on all the passions and desires which would hinder the temptation to immodesty from arising. Now, Even people that are not Christians can master a certain amount of self-government. People do it all the time. Athletes go into training and they know there are certain things they can and cannot have for a certain period of time 
while they're getting in training for a, a particular season. And they can deny themselves those luxuries for the goal that they see as worth it. And all kinds of people can say, oops, let's see, we have a reunion coming up in six months. I need to lose 15 pounds. Right? And so they get to work on what they eat and they do everything they can uh, to wage uh, the battle of the bulge. And uh, they can do it. People do it all the time. People can stop smoking without hypnosis and without magic and elves and all the other stuff that they attempt to do after most of their other attempts fail. <clears throat> but there are people that can actually quit bad habits. All men are able to exercise at least certain levels of self-government. And what we're being told here is that this whole attitude is a self-conscious, self-conscious uh, control. It is an habitual inner self-government with a constant rain on the passions, which would hinder immodesty from arising. The temptation comes, but there is something within me that says, no, this would be wrong, this would be inappropriate. And we can say, not now. Or even finally, no, not ever. There was a time when we had a society of women who knew how to say no to men and their advances. And they stood in it because they knew this principle. The government schools and Hollywood and the psychologists and the psychiatrists have helped us wash all that away. Where now it's abnormal not to give in to men's advances. There's something wrong with you if you want to stay pure. And brethren, that assault comes at us from every form of media in this country. Right. It wages a war against inner self-government that says no to what the Word of God defines as evil. Our nation, in my estimation, has fallen under the curse that the prophet so clearly spoke. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. It is right for a woman to say, No, don't come near me. There's nothing wrong with her. <clears throat> Today, at a government school, they'd have her on a psychologist's couch as fast as possible to find out what her hang-ups are. And they'd be digging the best of their ability with their psychological shovels to get down there to find out if there wasn't some old wretched preacher or Sunday school teacher or parent that was telling them that some of these things were bad.
One commentator says that, in effect, Paul is saying that when such attitudes self-consciously control a woman's mind, the result is evident in her modest apparel. So what we're talking about is an inner self-government that speaks by what it wears. Do you believe that? That's what these words mean. Another commentator by the name of Kelly says of shamefacedness and sobriety, the former, used only here in the New Testament, connotes feminine reserve in matters of sex. The latter basically stands for perfect self-mastery in the physical appetites as applied to women it too had a definite sexual nuance. Now, as these definitions reveal, modesty is a very broad concept, not limited to sensual connotation. It includes it, but it's not limited to that. It's a state of mind or disposition that expresses a humble estimate of one's self before God. Modesty, like humility, is the opposite of boldness and arrogance. Our our society thrives on boldness and arrogance. Ladies, how many times have you heard bold new fashions? It was just in the paper a few weeks ago. Moral purity, like humility, will not exhibit sensuality any more than a spirit of showing off or putting on airs. See, all of these are immodesty. For someone to come in here absolutely dressed to the teeth so that he stuck out or she stuck out like a sore thumb wearing incredibly expensive and garish clothing. That would be immodest. As well as if someone came in here in a miniskirt and fishnets. So don't get stuck just on one aspect. Webster links chastity with modesty because chastity means moral purity of thought and conduct. Moral purity of thought and conduct. Now, in all of these things, what we're ultimately saying is that modesty doesn't say, Look at me, I'm rich. It doesn't say, Look at me, I have excellent taste. Everybody notice that? It doesn't say, look at me, I'm provocative. And it doesn't say, look at me, I'm cool. I mean, the worship of cool is uh, one of the uh, religions of our day. If it's not cool, we don't want anything to do with it, right? Well, that's not cool. 
If it's wonderful, it's cool. But you see, as God's people, we're not here to be cool. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.